0: good news good news good news welcome to this good news friday edition of the bottom line show i'm roger marsh and not only do we have the good news of the gospel to talk about and the good news that's showing up in in different places um and i'm so very very grateful for the opportunity to share these good news stories with you but also uh we've got a little bit of a good news homily coming up today we don't typically do like uh, reverend roger takes over the show shows on Fridays. That's usually for Mondays or sometimes Tuesdays or Wednesdays. Depends on the holiday. But since we're in the Advent season and there are four Sundays in Advent and this year Advent was one of those uh, odd years. This happened in 2017 as well. I remember us having the big dilemma. What do we do with worship services on Sunday morning if Christmas Eve is a Sunday and then you've got Christmas uh, in the evening? I, I know some of the churches I've seen are doing a worship service like at nine in the morning and then they're doing Christmas Eve at 11, one and three or noon two and four, trust me. The years that I was serving as interim pastor at the Elisa Viejo campus at Lutheran Church of the Cross here in Southern California. This was a big uh, source of discussion as we looked at, okay, we have a new pastor. We had the existing pastor had been there for about 10, 15 years. He moved on, so the question was, we looked at everything. When do we do our Easter services? What do we do, a full Holy Week program, or midweek services, or, and, and especially when it came to Christmas? Because we had two campuses, and at the time we were doing a Christmas Eve service at the same time on both campuses. And then we had a couple others at the main campus and then nothing on Christmas Day. And so I remember the, the, the topic of conversation as to what about people who want to go to church and do the regular worship service and then come back in the evening and do the regular Christmas Eve service. So, you know, <clears throat> it's amazing how these things will play out where more and more, I think the older I get, especially when we talk about the worship service for God and we think that typically the worship service that we have every week um, is oftentimes different than the service that we hold on Christmas Eve, because Christmas Eve, let's face it, it's a time when we're so focused on the birth of Christ, which is a good thing to do, but then also we're mindful oftentimes of the cultural impact, knowing that there are some people who only go to church a couple times a year, and some churches kind of turn tail and run when it comes to what do you present about the kingdom on Christmas Eve. I know what it's like when you're preparing that Christmas Eve message, and for my pastor friends who are gearing up for this weekend, um, my, you know, my heart goes out to you and I mean that in the best of, best of ways, but a lot of churches will have a regular worship service tomorrow night and then they'll do it on Sunday morning and then they'll come back with Christmas Eve in the afternoon. However you choose to celebrate, <clears throat> I just uh, encourage you, my exhortation for everyone in pastoral ministry and also for people like us who are just now part of the laity is that we would keep Christ the center of Christmas especially on the Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and Advent worship things. Don't forego Advent to get, because you're in such a big hurry for Christmas Eve. That the, the four candles are essential, the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love candle. This is the weekend that we do the love candle. If you want to incorporate, see, the reason why you would have two services, I would think, is that you're going to incorporate the love candle and then, of course, what you have on Christmas. Christmas as is the lighting of the Christ candle and extinguish the other four. The hope, the peace, the love, the joy uh, that all mankind can experience is summarized in the birth of Christ. So do that. But today here on the Bottom Line Show, you, if you've been listening uh, throughout the course of the month, you've heard that on Mondays I've been taking the final half hour of each uh, program and offering a bit of a, an Advent reflection, an Advent homily uh, as it pertains to the different advent candles so if you want to go back in the archives on monday december 4th we talked about the hope candle monday december 11th talked about the peace candle this past monday the joy candle today coming up in the second half hour and i said four o'clock that's pacific time that's our frame of reference here but i realize people listen in the mountain and central time zones as well that that final half hour of the bottom line show today is my reflection if you will on this sunday's Advent homily because then on Monday Christmas Day we have a special program set up for you that includes uh, my homily for Christmas and I'll give you a little tip coming up in hour number two the bottom line show today when we talk about the love candle we're going to talk about the birth of Christ from the perspective of Joseph and the vision he had where the angel Gabriel came to him in the dream and then on Monday the homily will be on the birth of Christ from the perspective of Mary and uh, the fact that the angel Uh, Gabriel did, in fact, come to her presently, and the commonalities between both of their responses. Oftentimes, I think our culture is so looking for any kind of validation for whatever kind of ideologies they have, you know, and and really, this is where it comes down to it. I mean, when God, we talk about motives, we talk about intentions a lot, and they're not always the same. Um, Oftentimes, the motive is, I want a certain end result. For the Christian, our motive should always be, what would God have me do? How is God glorified best in this? And then to see yourself play the part that you are called to play by God in God's economy. It's amazing. Over 40 plus years in the broadcast world, I've worked with a lot of different faith-based organizations, some churches, some parachurches. I've worked for some secular organizations too. Privileged to work for a national television network and doing some occasional voice work for them. And, you know, it's nice to be the alternative lifestyle every now and again, though in my current configuration on that side, have a couple of good brothers and sisters in Christ who also work there as well. And uh, it's fun to be a part of the Fox Television Network in that regard. But it's interesting to me to see the number of people who are professing faith in Christ and living out faith in Christ and very faithful in their church attendance and Bible study and all that stuff working for a church or non profit organization. And here we go. I'm going to step on some toes here. But you can see that the motive for what they're trying to get is, is somewhat ulterior. We talk a great game. We have staff devotions. We're leading Bible studies, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, when you see the way the workers interact, then you begin to see where Christ is and where Christ isn't in the lives of these people. And, you know, it's it's amazing, just kind of going off before we get into this first great, really super good news Friday story for uh, this weekend. Um, I, I'm I'm just always interested, sometimes surprised, um, to see the number of people who will say, I'm doing God's work. And yet you begin to realize, hey, wait a minute, they're doing what they want to do and they won't turn it over to God. You know, and, and then here's the thing. Obviously, each of us is going to have to give an account for the lives to which we have been called, the work to which we have been assigned by God, those uh, works that were preordained, I think Paul tells us in Ephesians. We have been created. We are God's handiwork. We have been created to do good works. Now, we don't get saved because of our good works, but rather um, its it's amazing how you could see this. And I, I, every year, the older I get, the more I'm aware of the fact that God is bringing this type of activity to the surface. And in some ways, you know, we, we're shocked and we're kind of frustrated was reading about a pastor who had actually been a guest here on the Bottom Line Show about three years ago. He wrote a book about uh, the, the proverb about how a gentle word turns away wrath and how we can be so much more effective in our witness in the culture if we'd actually put that into practice. And then find out that he got run out of his church in the Nashville area because he's a dictatorial tyrant. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is a guy who preaches a really great message on using gentle words of the culture to turn away the wrath of our attackers, our opponents. And it turns out this guy is such a tyrant and such a lunatic that he literally got disassociated, disfellowshipped from his church. So we have to watch, you know, the, the, the people have to walk the talk. There's no question about it. And, um, the, the reason I, br- I bring that up now is, as we look at what's happening, what our goals and, you know, desires are in serving Christ through our worship services and, you know, outreach, uh, you know, uh, ministries and things of that nature, is are we preaching Christ crucified? Is the motive to bring people to faith in Christ? And I have to admit, it is such a, a refreshing feeling when you get to that point. When you get to that point where you realize there's so many things in the world, there's so many accomplishments to accomplish, there, there's no way that any of those things can make you feel like a better Christian but rather when you work and you put yourself in position to receive things and you're trusting God and following his leading and then you look around and go, wait a minute, what is it Matthew 6 says? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you and then kind of morphing into Paul, exceeding abundantly, uh, overflowing. That's the sign, I believe, of a truly repentant heart. And I preach that as much to myself as I do to you today here on the bottom line show. So as we whatever we are whatever we are, you know, putting our hand to the plow to do, are we doing it because God's called us or we're doing it to curry favor? Are we doing it because we want some kind of cultural impact to happen happen? Or are we just being faithful? Some of the best and godliest people, I think the ones who are gonna have some of the biggest jewels on their crown when we get to heaven, are gonna be people we've never heard of who did a bunch of stuff that we didn't even know about. You know, every time I see that story of, uh, you know, and I, I'm saying that story because there are many of them, this 82-year-old guy who's a former janitor, this 79-year-old woman who's a former librarian or whatever, never married, never had kids. More the same. One guy, this uh, 82 years of age dude, uh, lived, he lived in a tenement apartment complex in New York, only owned two pairs of blue jeans. You know, just very, very simple guy. Never had any family. And when he died, he left like $20 million to a library or to a scholarship funded at a college. You're thinking, how did that guy have that much money? Well, first of all, he lived simply. Secondly, he wasn't spending money on family and friends and his kids. And so it was just him. He could have owned a huge high-rise whatever and he lived in a two-bedroom apartment. You know I mean? The, it, the, those stories always kind of get to me. I'm just like, wow, who knew? But let's not get so sucked up with the cult of personality and the cult of celebrity here in this culture that we look at our Christmas worship celebrations and say, wow, my church had 50 people, and it didn't really seem like it was that electric, where the church down the street had 10,000 people. In so, just because you do a good job of marketing and put out a good entertaining product, people are gonna go to it, but the real question is, were you obedient? Were you faithful? I think of that obedience and the motives Oftentimes, when I see people in the progressive frame of mind, looking at those of us in the conservative frame of mind, and oftentimes you'll see people who are uh, preaching the good news, preaching the gospel, wanting to live good and godly lives, and they keep running into opposition. Something tells me that the more we are preaching the true gospel, the more opposition we're going to get because the enemy just does not want to hear it. One of the areas where that happens is in the sanctity of human life, and the Pregnancy Resource Center has become ground zero for the attack of people who are, um, what they say, advancing reproductive rights education and things of that nature. Um, Toward that end, a county here in California has withdrawn plans to take legal action against pro-life pregnancy care centers. And... (laughs) And this is what they figure, oh, we've got science on our side. We've got the National Institute of Health on our side. And we've got secular media on our side. But if they have them on their side, and the idea was they were trying to close these pro-life pregnancy centers down, why then would one of these county officials say, "Okay, all right, I'm going to withdraw my petition? This is good news. Can't wait to share it with you. Coming up next is The Bottom Line Continues. Here's Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services with a reminder that your investments do more than just make money. They actually change lives.
1: This Christmas, we gave our family the gift of life. So I thought, let's do the same for our Wilson Financial clients. A way of saying thank you for being in partnership with us in the ministry. What we're going to do to honor our clients is we're going to fund 100 ultrasounds per month, each month for the next 12 months through Preborn. Also, each quarter, we're going to buy an ultrasound machine, and at the end of the year, those machines will be saving an average of 1,600 children per year. We do this to honor and inform our clients of this great ministry and to say thank you for being our clients and being our friend. Merry Merry Christmas Christmas and and Happy Happy New New Year from all all of us at Wilson Wilson Financial. Call
0: 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and good news, when the vice chair of the San Diego County Board of Supervisors announced that she has withdrawn a proposal that basically could have set the tone for closing every pregnancy resource center in the state of California. Now, pregnancy resource centers are like preborn, right? The preborn clinics, you go to the clinic. If you go to an abortion clinic, here's what they're going to do they'll take an ultrasound to find out how far along you are and to give guidance to the abortionist, but you'll never see it. They'll sell you a pregnancy test. They'll want to sell you birth control. Heck, they'll sell you cross sex reassignment hormones if you want, because that has a lot to do with Planned Parenthood, right? But then when it comes down to your pregnancy, they'll tell you how far along or how far you think they think you want to be along. And then they'll ask you, when would you like to schedule your abortion? Do you want surgical or medical? The pills are a lot easier. You could do them at home, et cetera, et cetera. Only once in a great while will they even mention the A word, and that's adoption. Pregnancy resource centers, on the other hand, are staffed by licensed personnel who are in many cases volunteering their time free pregnancy test, free ultrasound images, and then a free consultation, here are your options. Option number one, of course, is you're a parent. Option number two, of course, in places like the People's Republic of California and Colorado is to abort the child. But option number three, which is a fantastic one that more women don't hear about, is adoption. The left has decided that all they have to do is say these pregnancy resource centers, these crisis pregnancy centers, they're not licensed by the state. They don't have a full-time MD on board. Now, here's the lie of that, by the way, before we go any further. More and more states are having to close their abortion clinics or go to referral services with pills because they can't find abortionists like MDs to actually administer the abortion medication or do the surgery. And yet they'll talk about how fraudulent these crisis pregnancy centers are. They're not licensed. They don't ever, there are more real doctors and nurses and nurse practitioners and licensed vocational nurses and certified nursing assistants volunteering their time at pregnancy resource centers than there are licensed medical anybody working at a place like Planned Parenthood. Remember the testimony of Abby Johnson. When she was working at the Planned Parenthood in Bryan, Texas, she was the director of the clinic at one point, and they had her assisting on abortions. You know how much medical training Abby Johnson had for that? None. But there she was. She'll be the first to tell you this is crazy. The San Diego County Board of Supervisors was facing a a proposal called, and this is a long (laughs) proposal, Advancing Reproductive Rights Education and Pursuing Litigation to Shut Down Fake and Fraudulent Crisis Pregnancy Centers. Tara Lawson-Reamer is the member of the, she's the vice chairman of the, uh, the San Diego County Board of Supervisors and has since withdrawn the proposal. The reason that they withdrew the proposal, and this is something last month she said, I want to do this. We want to sue pregnancy resource centers. Uh, there are 16 centers in San Diego County alone. And once this became law, it would have spread all throughout all 58 counties. In California uh, according to an interview she gave with uh, San Diego's KPBS quote these are fake centers pretending to offer reproductive health care advice to women they lure unsuspecting women into their doors with misleading information women who are looking for medical advice looking for medical help she alleged that pro-life centers were, quote, doing a lot of advertising online so that, quote, when women Google pregnancy help or questions, abortion, prenatal care, these centers are coming up in their search engines. Um, according to Carolyn Cool, who's the executive director of the Hope Clinic for Women in Fallbrook, uh, she took issue with the supervisor's claims and said that her assessment of the pro-life centers was inaccurate. Now, that's a factual statement. Quote, if the board really wanted to aid women in unsupported pregnancies, they would be promoting pregnancy centers, not trying to shut us down. It's a travesty that they are directly targeting centers whose mission is to aid women at no cost solely because they are pro-abortion and we are not. Uh, Dean Broyles, who's the president and chief counsel of the National Center for Law and Policy, sent a complaint letter to the supervisors denouncing the proposal as Orwellian. Lawson Reamer's proposal seeks to establish a government pro-abortion orthodoxy and a monopoly in San Diego County. They target, destroy, and eradicate pro-life pregnancy care centers who dissent from or diverge from her personal pro-abortion beliefs. That's not the American way. San Diego County citizens must remain free to support pregnancy care centers and would indeed seek the assistance of life-affirming organizations consistent with their beliefs and worldview. And that's even if Ms. Lawson-Reamer or the other Board of Supervisors members disagrees. Well, the California Family Council kind of launched a phone-in campaign that said, hey, call Tara Lawson-Reamer. Let her know that you object to the proposal. And interestingly enough, after receiving several calls, and I don't know how a couple is two or three, a few is four or five. I don't know what several (laughs) means these days. But nonetheless, there were enough to where she got the message and said withdrawing the proposal. You know, in all honesty, I I think of uh, the words of my friend and mentor, the late Chuck Colson. We weren't super close friends, but I had the privilege of working for him for four or five years in the mid-1990s. Chuck was the one who opened my eyes to biblical worldview. The idea that the way we as Christians should be looking at the events of the word is through the lens of Scripture, the, the events of the world. And this is a classic case. Chuck said, I never want to see public schools stop teaching evolution. What I want to see is public schools teach evolution, creation, and intelligent design side by side by side and let the students decide which one's right. Because it wouldn't be the student's decision. It would be the actual facts telling them what it means. He said, I don't ever want to see a Christian organization shut down the opposition. Rather, I want to see the biblical worldview in the spotlight so people have to look at it. It's great advice from Chuck, and this is good news coming out of San Diego County. On the other side of this break, I'll explain why it is so good news and why it's important for us to keep a tempered, measured, and balanced response to these wild and crazy accusations. We'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and I know why we get so upset as Christians when we see an attack on a pro-life resource center. By the way, if you'd like to make a donation to Preborn, the pregnancy resource center that we are in partnership with here at The Bottom Line Show, you've still got about a week left to take advantage of a special double matching grant. Every dollar you donate will be matched dollar for dollar. So your $28 donation that would handle one ultrasound appointment actually now covers two because of the doubling matching gift. And we had a great call from a listener in, uh, in the Bay Area a week or so ago, a $1,000 donation. And I'm grateful uh, for those $1,000 donations because you know that a $1,000 donation with a double matching grant means $2,000 of benefit to pre-born. Uh, go to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com, crawfordmediagroup.net. Those are all places where you will find the banner for preborn, and I encourage you to uh, check that out even today. Um, the reason why, of course, we fight for the sanctity of human life. I was in a recording session with Dr. James Dobson a couple of weeks ago, and he was. We were talking about parents who, you know, train up your child in the way that he or she should go, and when they're old, they will not soon depart from it. He said, "You know, here's the beautiful thing about this, and a lot of times." Um, we forget about this. Um, the, he says, if we parent our kids properly and the Holy Spirit takes root in their hearts and they wind up becoming believers, then we get a double win. Because not only do we get to enjoy a great relationship with them here in this life, but we get to be around them for all eternity. And if they go sideways in the other direction, then um, then you lose them twice, basically. And that's unfortunate. Uh, I'm grateful that the uh, vice chair of the San Diego County Board of Supervisors withdrew this proposal that effectively would have closed down all the pregnancy resource centers in San Diego County and would have spread throughout the state of California. If you're going to be pro-abortion, do your best job to present your best message. Don't lie about the other side because the pregnancy resource centers are telling the truth about abortion and adoption and childbirth. That's why they're becoming more popular. Women just want to know the truth because the truth will set them free. You know, we do seem to like to, we're a rather easily offended lot. And uh, coming up next, uh, comedian and author Susanna B. Lewis is going to take us on her personal journey of rants and revelations from a not-so-proper Southern lady. Her brand new book is called How May I Offend You Today? And we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Love this book. You're going to enjoy this conversation. Susanna B. Lewis joins me next as The Bottom Line continues in just a moment.
2: Stephanie Kover understands that personal injury help is a uniquely Christian concept. Christians sometimes balk at using a personal injury attorney after an accident, but Paul said that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. When you've been injured, it's important that the responsible party makes your temple well again. And the idea of restitution for lost wages and medical care comes from Exodus 21 and 22, where God outlines the concept of consequences and restitution. That biblical concept says that a person liable for injuring another must replace what is lost as a matter of justice. Sometimes being made whole means being compensated, and Stephanie Cover will fight for your wholeness because it is the Christian thing to do. And she is refreshingly honest. So if she feels like she’s not the right attorney or that there is no case, she’ll be upfront with you about it. If you’ve been in an accident, find out at no cost if Stephanie can help you by going to Kbrightradio.com/coVER.
0: Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're gonna kick off this segment and we're going to do some things that are probably going to make some people not really happy. But you know what, that's okay. Because we understand that we live in a world that has become so politically correct that it seems like everybody at some point has their nose out of joint about something. And that is kind of the thesis of a brand new book by Susanna B. Lewis. Uh, She's written a book called How May I Offend You Today? Rants and Revelations from a Not-So-Proper Southern Lady. We've got a link for the book up at TheBottomLineShow.com. Susanna Lewis, welcome to The Bottom Line Show.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here
0: humorist, blogger. Uh, She blogs at Woe, Susanna, and uh, she's written for a lot of different uh, uh, publications. She's the author of a book called You Can't Make This Stuff Up, and uh, this new book, I think it's got the perfect title because we are living in a world where it seems like just about everything that you do uh, is going (laughs) to make somebody upset. I mean, what was the the impetus? I mean, just as you travel the countries, you write and you speak, and the people that you interact with, I mean, you get the sense that everything you do is going to offend someone?
3: Absolutely. Well, it really came from uh, my following on social media. I have a fairly large following on social media, and I've always just kind of put myself out there, put my opinions out there about a a number of things. And people can be really bold in comment sections. And so I learned really quickly, you know, things that I I say around my family and my friends that, that are, you know, and people that I know that would not cause offense and it's not my, you know, intent to offend anyone. But I would put those same kind of things on social media and the comment sections would just blow up of people who Mm. are offended by something. And it just started really making me think, wow, people can get bent out of shape over the smallest things and take even humor, um, you know, that's supposed to be lighthearted and fun, take it so seriously and take it as a personal attack. And so that was kind of the basis for the book is for everybody just to kind of chill out and realize that everybody has opinions and beliefs and, and it's okay for us to respect those things, but we don't have to agree with everybody.
0: Yes. And I think that's the key of, uh, uh, uh local talk show host here has got quite a following nationwide says that he's far more concerned with clarity rather than agreement that we all know what we're talking about and we know that we're not always going to agree even in the body of christ susanna mm-hmm. b lewis is my guest today here on the bottom line her book title how may i offend you today is so provocative it's up at thebottomlineshow.com um as you have conversations i mean i know the the bulk of the hundred thousand plus people who follow you on instagram at just one example how uh, How is it within the church? I mean, because I would imagine that there are some people who see your social media and they say, okay, well, you're coming at this from a Christian perspective, so that offends me. But what kind of feedback do you get from people in the church with regard to some of the things that you do and say?
3: Well, you know, I've had uh, really positive feedback um, from people within the church. And, you know, I always go back to, you know, the story of Paul. Paul was persecuted for speaking the truth. Uh, He was beheaded for speaking truth. And that did not, you know, make him waver in any way. He still spoke the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, even though so many didn't agree with him and, and so many, you know, he was beaten and jailed for that very thing. And so that's kind of the overall premise, you know. Quit being uh, worried about what other people think, how other people are offended, and just stand firm on that truth. Stand firm on what you know um, without worrying who it may offend. You know, it's it's not your fault If you know if somebody else is offended that's on them that's something that they have to wrestle with and so as long as we stand firm in truth I think we're being obedient to what God calls us to do as Christians.
0: Boy, that, that is great. Uh, it's great wisdom. And yet, I know the first chapter in your book has a title that it's a, a lament that I have lamented often over the past couple of decades. The fact that oftentimes we'll see people acting a certain way, doing a certain thing. Somebody else gets upset about it. And then you kind of look at each other and say, well, why doesn't this, you know, for the offended person, why aren't you offended? For the person who isn't offended, well, why are you offended? And there used to be right. kind of a sense of common sense and decency and decor where there was basic general guidelines everybody seemed to understand and now it seems like common sense really isn't common as you write about in your brand new book talk about why that's important for us to realize because that fuels a lot of the frustration i think for a lot of people
3: Uh, it does fuel a lot of frustration and you know i'm not really certain why common sense isn't common anymore uh but i find that to be true daily i talk about in the book you know a gentleman who wore a a really ugly and vulgar t-shirt To our uh, family-friendly ballpark, while our Mm. kids were playing ball, and you know, I I had posted about that on social media, and you know, so many people who I think have common sense agreed with me. You know, Mm -hmm. if if that's what you want to wear, don't you know, don't do that to at a family-friendly place where kids are reading vulgarities on your back. But I was astounded at how many people commented telling me to mind my own business wow. and, you know, that you're just that you're just a, a mother who is, you know, the world revolves around her precious children and and you're not respecting, you know, a freedom of of whatever somebody wants to wear and freedom of expression. And it just baffled my mind. And that's when I realized, wow, I, Common sense really isn't common anymore, and I really don't know the reasoning behind that, but I find it to be very sad, and it just really surprises me that this is definitely not the world that, you know, my grandparents grew up in. Mm -hmm. Um, Things are are much more, um, you know, uh, liberal, and people are, you know, just really preaching open-mindedness. I think open-mindedness is great, but I think there's a line that has definitely been crossed there.
0: I'm talking with Susanna B. Lewis today here on The Bottom Line. Her book is called How May I Offend You Today? Rants and Revelations from a Not-So-Proper Southern Lady. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com as well as links for all of her social media. There's a scene in the Chronicles of Narnia, I believe it's in Lion, Witch of the Wardrobe, where the kids are at the train depot and uh, two younger boys mm-hmm. are gotten into a scuffle and one of the older boys comes by and uh, you know, tries to break it up. And I think an adult comes in and intervenes and looks at both of them and says, act your age. I love that scene. Absolutely (laughs) love that scene. Because wasn't there a time, we talk about common sense, when we understood that there were seasons of life and it by age three, you should be doing this and six and whatever like that. Uh, One of your chapter titles I love, Act Your Age, Not Your Shoe Size. Um, (laughs) Talk about that, because I guess for me, that means I'm terminally stuck in middle school. But but talk about how that kind of fuels a lot of where a lot of people are, is the, the idea that this kind of terminal youth movement really is making culture tougher and it's tougher for us as Christians to speak truth to power in a situation like that.
3: Um, Absolutely. I think so. You know, in the book, I reference about especially women. And I know it I know it applies to men as well who who act, you know, very immature at times. But I think really it's a it's an issue for women. Um, You know, I have a daughter who's a freshman in high school. Mm. And uh, some of the stories that she comes home uh, with are just incredibly petty and immature stories of, you know, cat fights and arguments and jealousy between younger kids. And you kind of expect that in adolescence as kids are growing and trying to figure things out and aren't you know, spiritually or mentally mature yet, but I, I talk in the book about how I see that so much among, among women, and, hmm. and uh, you know, I've, I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of sitting on the bleachers at a ball game gossiping about things that I have no idea about or placing judgment on people based on hearsay, and so, you know, it's really just opened my eyes that, that so many adults are, <clears throat> excuse me, are still acting like they're in grade school. Mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. it's something that we have to be aware of, and we have to kind of, you know, go to the Lord with that and say, Lord, convict me of my wrongs. Um, uh, place that conviction upon me that I do act like a mature, mature, and especially for Christians to act mature. You know, the Bible talks about meat and milk, and at some point we got to get off the milk spiritually and get onto the meat. Yes. And so I think that's a, an important thing for us to think about and to reflect on and pray about.
0: You know, it's. It, it... I'm sure you get a lot of feedback from women and not all of it is positive when you bring up an issue like that. Because I have having yeah. worked in youth ministry for many years and uh, and now in pastoral ministry as well. I've noticed that trend. I mean, you know, it's b- it's bad enough when the guys want to be, you know, dads want to be all bros with their sons and everything instead of showing them what mo- yeah. modern masculinity really should be about. But to see the moms, you know, kind of almost in competition with their daughters and, and instead of saying, wait, I'm supposed okay. to show you a godly Uh, role model, be a godly role model for you. Talk about, uh, expand upon that because you you had a reaction (laughs) When when I said the mom's in competition with daughters instead of actually leading them into adulthood.
3: Yes, absolutely. I think that's true. You know, I think um, that the mothers can get wrapped up into the things that the daughters bring home, and can you know get wrapped up in their flesh and not be a godly role model. And also, speaking about within the church, I mean, this kind of you know act your age, not your shoe size thing happens in church as well. I mean, the church, the church, the the foyer, the courtyard of a church hear some of the juiciest gossip you can imagine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of uh, what people are saying about what somebody wore? Well, can you believe somebody did this? And you know, talking about their brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm guilty of it. i'm not I'm certainly not acting like I'm better than anybody else. But you know we bring that into the church as well, and I think that really grieves God's heart that we um that we act that way, that we act so incredibly petty and uh again i think it's just a problem all the way around within the church within mothers and daughters and and too as you said with between um dads and sons it's just i think it's a fleshly quality that just comes out at times <clears throat> excuse me and we have to really be aware of that
0: yeah, it, it's, it's key. And I understand the title of this book a lot more after having just had a 10-minute conversation with author Susanna B. Lewis. The book is called How May I Offend You Today? Rants and Revelations from a Not-So-Proper Southern Lady. Got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, just reactions to what's happening in the culture when people try to share common decency, but also in the church, too, and helping us to kind of see, you know, hold the mirror up and take a look at our own behavior, doing so in with a bit of humor, but also with, lots and lots of insight. We'll have more of this conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Susanna B. Lewis is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Best title for a book this year, How May I Offend You Today? Rants and Revelations from a Not-So-Proper Southern Lady. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Susanna, before we get back into the the guts of this book and one of the chapters that really drew my eye because the title is so provocative, um, how did you get started doing this? I mean, you know, I I realized that, you know, if you've got a a writing uh, bent or, you know, that kind of ministry, a lot of people know the woman in church who's rather insightful and has got a, you know, Uh, a keen sense of humor, maybe a dry wit, but not everybody winds up Mm -hmm. on social media with hundreds of thousands of people following them and books to write. How, (laughs) How did this all come about for you?
3: Oh wow, it's it's really a crazy thing, you know. I've been I've wanted to be a writer since I was a kid. That's something that I think God placed in me at a very young age. And um, I was writing articles online um, for different outlets, and I started a blog, and I did some videos that went viral and had millions and millions of views, and was on the Today Show and different outlets like that. And so my social media platforms really grew, Um, and I've written some fiction books. And you know, after about two or three years into having a very large social media platform was when, you know, the Lord kind of nudged me, hey, I've given you this audience, what are you going to do for me with it? How how are you going to, you know, uh, bring people to know me and and spread encouragement? Because up until then, it had just been lighthearted and fun and just kind of fun mom rants. And I'd been called, you know, the uh, uh, Arma Bombek of of modern day and that kind of thing. Uh Yeah. And so I said, you know, you know, I've, I've, I've had a, I've known the Lord since I was a kid, faith is an incredibly large part of my life. And so I said, you know what, I, I'm going to, you know, focus on bringing attention to him, not so much me, but onto yeah. him. And so um I wound up with a literary agent, pitched some ideas, ended up writing for Thomas Nelson, um, wrote my last nonfiction book last year. And uh, this nonfiction book came out this year and both have faith-based themes. And so there you go. That's how it yeah. worked out.
0: Well, that is a remarkable journey for anyone who's ever thought in those terms. And I realize that uh, you know the, the world we're living in now. I, there's a there's a greater sense of urgency I sense in in evangelism and sharing the gospel and 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 realizing that there are different platforms mm-hmm. for people to to expose them on and. Uh, the gospel message. And and here we are, you know, having a conversation on broadcast and podcast right now and realizing that uh, God's given you this platform and we have a platform here to, to share. And so I'm, I'm grateful that we get to walk in partnership today here on The Bottom Line Show, having this conversation about your brand new book, How May <laughs> I Offend You Today, Rants and Revelations from a Not-So-Proper-Southern Lady. We've got a link for the book up at the com. Uh, toward that end, one of the chapters you discuss the fact that I, I see this happening uh, more and more. It is, it's kind of unnerving, especially when I see members of my family or extended family trying to create a name for themselves, build a brand, you know, the, whatever it is. That that's kind of where the world is. I remember being in a um, we were at a shopping mall one time, having a meal, and watching a couple of kids try to take a quote-unquote natural-looking selfie for social media. They probably spent 20 minutes on that picture. And, you know, and I realized in the, in the modeling world that, you know, that's, that's what you do for a living. But these were two kids who they're never going to get that half hour of their life back. And they were trying so hard to build a brand. Talk about why you wrote about the importance of faith over fame, especially because you've, you've tasted both and, and you know, which, which one has more satisfying results.
3: Oh, wow. I could talk an hour on that. That's for sure. <laughs> um, you know, in the world, today's world with social media, and I see it with my kids, I've, I've spoken at several events at churches around my area about this very thing of how children, especially girls, now boys too, not excluded, but especially girls find their worth and likes, follows their response on social media. And uh, girls can get wrapped up in that. I got wrapped up in that for a long time uh, as my platform grew to over a million followers. Mm -hmm. Um, I got a lot of, I found a lot of my worth. And, you know, did somebody like this? Did somebody not like that? Were they offended by this? And so, you know, there's, it's a, it's a roller coaster, an emotional roller coaster of ups and downs. And, you know, I was just uh, gently reminded that we have to find our worth in Christ. That, that's where our worth is found. I think it's so important for for young people to know that. Um, and just like you said about the selfies, I've seen that so many times of trying mm-hmm. to get the right angle and the right this. And that's all an effort to please other people and to get um, recognition and to get, you know, approval other people's approval and we can really get caught up in that. It can become an idol of sorts, uh, where that becomes the most important thing in our, in our lives. And so I felt the chapter about that was really necessary of how, you know, what, what you post on social media or for your friends, um, in the grand scheme of things is, is not even important. What it is, 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 um, how you're following your call through faith, um, and how you know who you're, who you are in God. And, uh, I think it's something that's really looked over, and I think it's something that really delights the enemy, is to um, kind of worship ourselves. Uh, And that's what it's become, is just worshiping ourselves and worshiping other people's opinions of us.
0: You know, Susanna, you just used a phrase that I'm going to borrow and give you full credit for, uh, because I think it, it, it would be helpful in terms of, putting everything we've been talking about for the past 20 minutes or so in perspective. Your book is titled, How May I Offend You Today? And the fact that so many people who, you know, in a politically correct world would be offended by our faith in Christ or, or, you know, wanting to stand up for common decency or even common sense for that matter. But when you said, I think it really delights the devil, I wonder how many of us in the body of Christ have actions or see actions and ask the question, is this pleasing to God or does this delight the devil? And when you put it in those fra- that framework, it's so much easier to excuse bad behavior, isn't it, when you don't realize mm-hmm. who it's actually bringing joy to and, and, and delighting. And if the psalmist is correct, if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he grants us the desires of our heart, shouldn't we be seeking to not delight the, the devil but actually delight the Lord more? I mean, I, that's kind of a rhetorical question, but I'd love to get your response on.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I I struggle with that every every day. I have to, you know, think, or my actions or my words or, or what I'm even thinking. Um, who is that pleasing? Is it pleasing God or the enemy? Who, who is it pleasing? And it, it's astounding how many times, you know, I get wrapped up in my flesh and I find out, you know, that I'm just really tickling tickling the devil you know he's really pleased with me but the lord is not and um it's really a a place i thank god for conviction i thank the lord for conviction and for um for nudging me to repent and to turn away from things because i'm filthy as i can be but uh i think you're right if we all kind of look at things of how we talk about others and how we view others you know is that delighting who is it delighting Who, who who is your master um, that's a question that we often forget to ask ourselves.
0: Yeah, and in the politically correct world, your your title, "How May I Offend You Today," is really kind of tongue in cheek at the hey look if I'm living right and the world is kind of going darker, of course I'm going to offend somebody. The question is who am I offending yes. and uh, who am I delighting? Uh, we've got a couple minutes left in our conversation with author Susanna B. Lewis today here on the Bottom Line about her book, "How May I Offend You Today." Uh, talk about why this. This project is so important right now, not only for you. I mean, this is the next step in your progression of uh, your, your faith. And uh, I won't say your fame, but I mean the platform that God's expanding for you. But also, sure. you know, just in terms of culturally, you know, I mean, this is the type of thing where you, you know people, I know people who are at odds with the church or with Christianity because they feel so offended by the way Christians present themselves. And sometimes that criticism is warranted. Um, what is your hope for this project? Why do you think this project is so important for right now?
3: Well, you know, I hope that that this book will um, encourage Christians um, who, who are who do find faith incredibly important a large part of their lives, that they will, you know, kind of get a backbone and and be proud of their faith and be proud of of what the word of God says without worrying about who it may offend um, and take a stand for truth. I think so many people are scared to death of what, you know, somebody else is going to think that they lose sight of what we're called to do as Christians is to spread the good news. That's Mm -hmm. what we're called to do. The Bible doesn't say, you know, tell tell everybody about me as as long as it doesn't hurt their feelings. The Bible does not say that, you know, (laughs) we're called to do some bold things um, as believers. And so that's what my primary hope is. And for those who, um who are not, I mean, I have a lot of, of fans who are um, atheists. They will mm. tell me that. They, they don't believe in the Lord at all. They don't believe in anything that was done on the cross at all. And yet they can relate to the book and they are still fans of, of what I've written because they see that, you know, they are entitled to have an opinion and to have this and without being browbeaten about it. And, you know, and when I talk about Christians expressing their faith, I think we have to do that in love. We have yes, to do that in love. That. We yeah. can't turn people away from Christ with a nasty attitude or a, you know, um, hell and damnation, brimstone and fire conversation with these people. We have to do these things in love. And so I hope it's encouraging to both the secular readers and to um, those who are uh, founded in faith that, you know, they can see that, you know, w- what you say and what you believe matters. And don't be afraid to um, tell others about that and to uh stand on the truth and um I've got great feedback that that's what the book has done, and so as you know all glory to God for that nothing nothing yeah. I've done, but I think um he's really blessed the book and I, I do think it's been beneficial
0: well, it sounds like it has, and i, I i'm, I'm thrilled to hear of the good reports that you're getting from people on both sides of the spiritual spectrum from Christians who are benefiting but also from atheists who are, are saying you know I I, yeah. I don't know where you are you know as far as the faith stuff goes but I like what you're saying and it makes sense to me I, that that to me speaks volumes about uh, the unifying yeah. force of the, the love of Christ and and the fact that you are really going into all the world and preaching the gospel and you know, making disciples everywhere you go. Uh, Susanna mm-hmm. B. Lewis, it's Thank been a you. pleasure to get to know you. I appreciate the the, the the how thoughtful and insightful you are with regard to the comedy. Because it'd be easy to say, "Oh, that's that funny lady who puts that stuff on social media and ha ha ho ho," <laughs> which is a part of who you are, obviously. But um, it's nice to hear yes. the heart behind the uh, behind the message. The book is called "How May I Offend You Today." Rants and Revelations from a Not-So-Proper Southern Lady. We've got a link for the book up at TheBottomLineShow.com. Susanna B. Lewis, uh, thank you for being with us today here on the program. Really appreciate your time.
3: Thank you so much.
0: Well, I hope you don't take offense to that title, <laughs> and we've put it up for you again at TheBottomLineShow.com. The book is called How May I Offend You Today? Rants and Revelations from a Not-So-Proper Southern Lady. Susanna B. Lewis has been my guest. And, you know, when people are just kind of losing their minds, um, how about you know, the, the, taking a look at popular culture from a biblical worldview. Ordinary events that happen and, uh, and, and how we in the body of Christ can respond to them properly. Susanna handles this brilliantly in her brand new book. It is still a bestseller, uh, even though it's been out for a little while now. More to come in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Special update here for our friends at Preborn who provide free ultrasounds for women who are in pregnancy situations that perhaps they didn't plan. And when they go and get the ultrasound, here's what happens. They see the images of the baby and then they say, oh my goodness, this is a baby, not a blob of tissue. 85% of the time, a woman who goes to a preborn clinic and sees the picture of her preborn child will either Say, I'm going to take this child home once he or she is born and be a mom, or once the child is born, I'm going to release that child for adoption. Uh, we've been thanking bottom line show listeners here who are getting their uh, donations in under the wire. I want to thank someone called December who is uh, calling in from Murrieta with a $200 donation to preborn at 833 850 BABY, 833 850 2229, BABY. And the good news is December's gift. Is doubled thanks to a special matching grant from preborn that is in place through the month of December. 833 850 Baby is the number to call to give a gift online to preborn or go online. Hit the preborn banner at kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com. Every dollar you donate to preborn through those portals goes exclusively to ultrasound technology, and the gift is doubled now through December 31st. Go to kbrightradio.com and click on the preborn banner right now. My thanks again to Susanna B. Lewis, the author of the brand new book, "How May I Offend You Today: Rants and Revelations from a Not So Proper Southern Lady." We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I'll tell you, if you, you know, if you have gotten frustrated with the fact that so many people literally are losing their stuff over what's happening in the culture right now, shake hands with the rest of us. I mean. If you get the idea that what you see on social media, even what you're hearing from people at church and other places where we used to be able to share our, our ideas freely, um, this is the book for you. You know, I mean, people wear T-shirts with indecent images, uh, and, and we're supposed to just say, you know what, uh, deal with it. Uh, public displays of affection. We're just supposed to deal with it. You know, the thing I like about a good comedian like Susanna B. Lewis, is the fact that she will take a look at what's happening in the culture around her and take a look at it from a biblical perspective and then share the kind of uh, wit and wisdom and insight that really helps us to see the problem for what it is, but then also see what the solutions are as well. And as Christians, may I submit to you that one of the best things that we can do for ourselves and also for our witness is to not take ourselves too seriously, but to understand the why behind the what. If you see something that is offensive to you, and there's plenty of stuff in this culture that is offensive to me as a Christian, my question is, okay, why are is that person doing this? You know, is it just to get attention? I, I saw an interview with a well-known uh, artist from the 70s and 80s, was talking about a stunt they did on television years ago that everybody thought was so controversial. And when they asked the lead singer why the group did that, he said, quite frankly, we just wanted people to remember us. There is so much happening in the world right now where it's like a, 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 a an attention-starved child, or quite frankly, our beef poo. Jax is the sweetest looking dog, but he demands attention. Love me, play with me, throw the toy, give me food, I need all this stuff. He's not that kind of animal that comes up to you and says, how you doing, man? Can I just sit in your lap and make you feel better? But if you look at this from a biblical perspective, there's a culture of hurting people who are doing all sorts of outlandish things to try to get your attention. And in Susanna B. Lewis's book, How May I Offend You Today, we see these actions for what they are, and we also get the opportunity to have a Christian response to them. There's a reason why 600-plus people have rated this book five stars or better on Amazon, and that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. Rabbi Schneider coming up next. For those who remain on the network, an Advent homily on the love candle, the fourth candle that will be lit this Sunday, or this weekend, I should say, in your local church services. I'll bring that to you coming up next as the bottom line continues good news good news good news welcome to this good news friday edition of the bottom line show or welcome back to this good news friday edition of the bottom line show i'm roger marsh and uh, we are heading toward christmas full steam ahead and i'm so grateful that we've had the opportunity during this advent season to share some time with each other to talk about the you know the the good news of the gospel the advent coming from the latin word adventus which literally means appearing um the, the fact that we celebrate the birth of christ which is the appearing of the long prophesied messiah going back 700 years before the birth of christ to isaiah and then seeing the christ child being born and then of course the second advent which will be the lord's return and i i don't know about you but in the past couple of years it has become very, very apparent to me that the Lord's return is imminent. I mean, obviously no one knows the day or the hour and it might be five, ten years before it actually happens or it might be tomorrow, it might be this afternoon, it might be during this segment. And it's nice to be living in a time when we can not only talk about this, but also experience this, to have that sense of wonder, you know, where you don't get, I know that the events of the day can be a little more cumbersome and a little more burdensome sometimes just because it seems like we're doing a ton of things. But when you see the spiritual warfare that's out there where the, I mean, I'm privileged to work, of course, for the Bottom Line for Crawford Broadcasting, but also serving with Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. And when you see ministries like Family Talk and through the Bible and the ones that you hear on Bottom Line Show affiliates all across the country, we, you can see where there's the regular pissiness and then there's the is the enemy sticking his finger in stuff. And kind of like in that uh, Frank Pareddy novel, Remember this present darkness 30 plus years ago, how the enemies with the the, the minions of Satan would literally sit on the shoulders of Christians and stick their fingers inside their minds just to mess up their brains. I mean, you could see where that happens. And at the end of the day, a lot more people are kind of being run down and wiped out and burning out. and, And so I encourage you to stand strong in your faith, to be strong in your faith, especially during this time of year that can be very busy, it can be a challenging time, it can be a sad time for a lot of people, I know a lot of people aren't really big on the holidays anymore, and as more and more people are celebrating a more secularized Christmas holiday rather than the one that celebrates the birth of Christ, you know, we have a couple of options. I was reading a social media clip the other day that said, uh, you know, oftentimes what we in the body of christ have done in the states the western kind of version of christianity has been to find people who aren't living a christian life and then shame them for not doing it and years ago probably 25 years ago the church i was attending at the time did a little thing during the uh, during holy week where on good friday rather than having the pastor preach a sermon thursday was the big day because of uh, the last supper Uh, Jesus in the garden going before Pilate by the time you came to evening service on Friday basically what the idea was was to ruminate on the final seven words of Christ on the cross and then to kind of leave the sanctuary in darkness as if we were part of that early church that had been followers of Jesus he had been crucified and now we were sitting here going now what what do we do and I remember, uh, over the course of many years, you know, people figured out I know how to give a presentation. <laughs> I don't mind talking because we would leave it up to the laity. The pastors would kind of take the day off, and and they would just kind of oversee the service. But each of the seven homilists, if you will, who would give their little homilies, would take one of the seven last words of Jesus. And I remember the time I drew the straw because i was i was always the hey you know let if somebody has a something that you really really want to do that's great i'll take whatever's left over uh then it became a, well i did this one last year i'll want to do another one this year and had a privilege to put that together actually i'm thinking of possibly publishing that uh, maybe my reflections on the seven last words I, if you have any interest in that drop me a line and uh, we'll see if we can get that ebook ready by easter this year Anyway, um, as we were t- going through those, one of the years I was chosen to you know, start out with Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And I looked at that and I thought, well, this always kind of seemed like a throwaway, right? It almost seemed like Jesus being a little, a little uh, self-righteous, you know, kind of like, oh, geez, Father, d- d- don't take it out on them. They don't know what they're doing, especially when you consider how many people had been in the crowd a couple days earlier saying, Hosanna, oh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then now you find that the, the, some of these same people were saying crucify and crucifying. And as we're going through this Advent season, I think more about that, Father, forgive them, they know that what they do, because our culture, which used to be based on biblical morals and values, biblical principles, um, has moved to a secularized society. And so it, that's not an excuse, it's a reality. So those of us in the body of Christ who do not have uh, a heart for people who are lost, truly lost, uh, we're missing an opportunity we, with the default is we should just make America that Christian nation it once was and always will be. Well, I believe that America was founded on biblical principles like just about everyone else, but fewer and fewer people do. As George Barna says, his research, research indicates that during the pandemic, more people actually shifted to believing in a moral absolute, but the moral absolute was them, their own standard. You hear people saying my truth, your truth, that type of thing. The progressives love that. They don't want moral absolutes. They want this to be this never-ending amalgamation of thoughts and feelings and virtue signaling and things like that. We trust that there is a yes, no, right, wrong, black, white version of the way life is lived. And yet you see a lot of people now leaving the church saying, well, I was taught that this is the way it was, but then a friend of mine was gay or my parents got divorced or you know whatever, and I didn't, the Bible didn't have any answers for me. Maybe the Bible didn't, but chances are it wasn't that the Bible was wrong, but that the church you were part of basically was saying things like they used to say to young kids, you know, you're in middle school or high school, you're engaged in sexual activity, and they'd say, stop fornicating, and then you can come back to church stop taking drugs and then you can come back to church oh you think you might be gay well go get straight with god first and then you can come back to church and a lot of people left the church going what in the heck is that and to be honest with you when i hear about those types of stories i'm the same way i'm like what, what are you talking about i mean it, didn't jesus himself say when matthew levi and uh, you know he was called uh out of the tax collecting world and into the world of following Jesus. And one of the first things he did was he called a bunch of his friends who were tax collectors and prostitutes, and they had a d- banquet. He said, I want you to meet Jesus. And so Jesus goes, and the Pharisees are all, mm-hmm, what's he doing here? You know, that's really crazy. And what, is, what was Jesus' response? He said, is it not the sick who need the doctor and not the well? In other words, why wouldn't I be in the company of people who are living this kind of life now that's not to say they're gonna oh yeah well jesus is gonna give up his his deity here and start hanging out with these tax collectors no quite the opposite he's going to hang with them and be jesus and that's what we're called to do is to go into all the world and be jesus we are therefore christ's ambassadors second corinthians 5 as if christ were making his appeal through us so during this uh, advent season i've been taking. The, the last half hour of every Monday program and looking at the Advent candle because Advent is kind of an interesting season this year with Christmas Eve being on the 24th a Sunday and then Christmas Day the 25th being a Monday um, we have been looking at Monday kind of doing a uh, Monday morning quarterback thing on each of the four Advent candles since Advent is ending Sunday and then of course Christmas is Monday I'll have a nice Christmas homily for you on Christmas Day But I thought today, rather than wait till Monday and do the fourth candle of Advent and Christmas on that day, I'd like to take a look at the fourth candle of Advent. To to review, if you're keeping score with us along at home, the Advent wreath that you have in the front of your sanctuary, you know, right next to the altar and the cross and the pulpit, right? That's what you have in your church. Uh, If you don't have that, my question is, why not? Uh, and, And I mean that sincerely. I mean, I don't see anything in the New Testament where Jesus said, hey, you know that altar thing? We don't need that anymore. And the cross, I mean, it's such a vital part of our faith that it's amazing. Lisa and I visited a church a couple of months ago and uh, they had the cross off to the side <laughs> and the front was a big stage and they had a band and you know, they were doing all that stuff, but there was no real pulpit per se. There was no altar and the cross was off to the side. And <laughs> we were walking out, Lisa says, it's almost as like Jesus is sitting in the corner Doing a face, you know, face palm, you know, head in the corner, going, "Oh, jeez, I can't believe I'm stuck in the corner again." But we should be bringing recognition to the fact that the cross, which was the cruelest form of death, the most humiliating form of punishment a human being could ever go, is now a symbol of life. I wear one. My wife wears one. Uh, people I know wear them. I've got a cross tattoo. I mean, we have crosses everywhere to basically say it's not just, oh, that means you're a Christian. It means, no, this was the worst form of death, and Jesus beat it. Jesus defeated it. And so we wear that cross with pride as well as with humility. But when you have your Advent wreath up there, there are four candles in the Advent wreath. Three of them are purple. One of them is rose-colored or pink or Godet, as you call it, or gaudet. And the first one represents hope. It's the expectation of what is certain. And for us as Christians, the expectation of what is certain is that Jesus who came was the Messiah and Jesus will return to rule and reign and he's taking us with him to heaven. The hope that is certain for, and I don't call it hope, but what is certain, the expectation that is certain uh, for people who don't believe in Christ is they will meet sudden and terminal doom. The second candle then is the peace candle. And the peace candle is interesting because it really is a reference to Christians living together as one. And the, the word for peace and being at one with each other literally means to be favored toward uh, the, the word for peace in the Hebrew, shalom, and then the, uh, the, the Hebrew word uh, enrene in Greek literally means all of the essential parts are here and put together. And working the way they're supposed to. That's what God defines as peace. So peace in the body of Christ means all of the pieces of the church are together and working together. And that's impossible to have if one of the pieces thinks they're better than the other. So the best way to understand that peace is then to be able to express that peace with other people. We we do this in worship services all over the country. We share the peace of Christ. We pass the peace. But you have to wonder how many people are passing the peace of Christ and how many people are saying, I'm doing this because I'm better than you. You know, it's just, it's heartbreaking to see. And I realize there's a whole world outside that's watching us and they're looking at John 13, 34 and 35 and saying, wait, I thought Jesus gave you a commandment to love one another. How can you experience the peace of Christ and pass the peace of Christ when you're at odds with so many people in the body of Christ? And then after the peace candle, you get the joy candle. That's the uh, the one that is uh, uh, that, that's the, the purple one. and the joy candle really brings the, uh, the, the the nature of the true light of Christ the joy that uh, literally uh, the, the Greek word uh, Kara or Zara literally means to be favorably disposed to lean toward um, it, it's a joy because of grace is a good way to describe it. The fact that anyone who is experiencing the joy of the Lord, that joy will be contagious. People will be drawn to you, not because you're a great cook, not because you're a fantastic mathematician. They'll be drawn to you because the joy of the Lord is evident in you. And once they have the Holy Spirit in them, they can recognize that joy. They will be drawn to you and you will be drawn to them. And that's what in the same way we are drawn to Christ because of the power of the Holy Spirit. We see that joy of the Lord that we pass that peace onto others because we are conduits of the Holy Spirit and we can agents who can release that Holy Spirit. I've seen that happen a couple times even just during this Advent season and things that I've been praying for people, situations, and watching God work. It's amazing. The fourth candle in the the whole uh, prospect of the uh, Advent candles is the love candle. And as we continue, I want to talk about the four different types of love. I want to talk about the love of Christ shown to us in the form of the birth of Jesus Christ, but also the one great selfless act of love that took place that made the birth of Christ possible. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Here's Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services with a reminder that your investments do more than just make money. They actually change lives
1: this christmas we gave our family the gift of life so i thought let's do the same for our wilson financial clients a way of saying thank you for being in partnership with us in the ministry what we're going to do to honor our clients is we're going to fund a hundred ultrasounds per month each month for the next 12 months through Preborn. also each quarter we're going to buy an ultrasound machine and at the end of the year those machines will be saving an average of 1600 children per year We do this to honor and inform our clients of this great ministry and to say thank you for being our clients and being our friend. Merry Merry Christmas Christmas and and Happy New New Year from from all all of us us at Wilson Wilson Financial. financial.
0: Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're sharing the good news of the birth of Christ today. Of course, Monday is Christmas Day. Sunday is the fourth Sunday of Advent. And for those who've been following along, if you have a chance to listen on Mondays, the final half hour of each Monday program in the month of December, I've been focusing on one of the different Advent candles. On Monday, the fourth of December, we looked at the hope. Uh, On Monday, the 11th, we did the peace. This past Monday, the 18th, we did the joy. And then today, uh, we're going to talk about uh, love. And the reason is because on Monday, the 25th, it's Christmas Day, and I'll do a special Christmas homily that day instead. So I hope you're enjoying this part of the good news of the gospel, because the good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God's love compelled Jesus to be born, to go to the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin, to wipe it clean and pay the penalty for it, and then to send to heaven, to send the Holy Spirit to comfort and counsel us so that we might become the children of God. Now we've seen, and I'm gonna talk a little bit more about Mary's perspective on this uh, in our homily on Christmas Day. But remember that there's one key piece of the puzzle here that has to work. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and we see this whole, uh, you know, Mary's Magnificat in Luke chapter one. But in Matthew chapter 1, where we're focusing more on the lineage of Christ from Joseph's perspective, that's where Matthew includes the encounter with the angel, same angel, it's Gabriel, only from Joseph's perspective. Here's verse 18 and following. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to a man called Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. That prophecy, by the way, from Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. Now, why is that so important for us to get Joseph's perspective? We talked, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more, we've talked in the past about how in Mary's situation, uh, basically the angel tells her when she says, how can this be? I'm a virgin, I'm a teenager. He says, you know, the Holy Spirit will overpower you. Notice that it's the Holy Spirit doing the work in Mary's heart, but also in Joseph's life as well. In the Jewish tradition, they literally connected the Spirit of God with the work of creation. And it's interesting because in Hebrew, there are two words, ruach in Hebrew and pneuma in Greek. And both of them literally mean, I mean either, depending on which way you look, it's breath and spirit. So the idea that God sends forth his Holy Spirit literally means he breathes or speaks things into creation. And what's happening is what God is doing with Jesus is he is recreating So he's speaking that into existence as well. And it's amazing to see how many people, when you talk about the love of God, there are four different types of love that we know of. Some people would say there are three, some people would say there are five. But in the Greek, as far as I've seen, study-wise, there are four different types of love. There is Philadelphia, which is brotherly love, or Uh, familial love. That's the love that you have with your friends. That's the love that you have with people who are relatives, whatever. I mean, remember we call the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And ironically, Crawford Broadcasting is headquartered in Bluebell, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia. And they might beg to differ (laughs) with the way things are going these days. But that's what the name means. Philadelphia means brotherly love. There's that. And then of course, there is eros or erotic love. That is the love between a man and a woman. Between a husband and wife, I should more accurately say, and it's interesting to see here in Matthew's gospel how, when Jesus, or excuse me, when um, Joseph has the encounter with the angel Gabriel, he has a couple of options here. Now, remember, in the Jewish tradition, if you are engaged to be married, that's the second step in the process. I mean, first of all, you have, uh, you know, the, there's the courtship, then there's the betrothal, which is the engagement part, and then you get married. But once you have entered betrothal, you, for all intents and purposes, legally, you're married. That people say, well, if he's just her fiancé, then why did he, you know, what did he have in mind to divorce her quietly? Because basically that's the only way you could end the, the engagement. So here's the thing about Joseph, and this is a great transitional piece for us as Christians, because you see that Joseph, wanting to be a good Jew, was faithful to the law and it was going to divorce her quietly because that's what you would do. You found out, I mean, it's pretty obvious, if you and your soon-to-be wife have not had intimate relations, and yet she shows up pregnant, then your logical conclusion is, well, some other guy got her pregnant, so therefore, that's the end of this marriage. I'm gonna end the betrothal, I'm gonna divorce her. But Joseph, being a good and compassionate man, said, I'll be faithful to the law. The law says I should divorce you, but I'm not gonna do it publicly. He could have taken her into the public square and said, "This." up you know and he wasn't going to do that and so he's thinking to himself i did the right thing i did the right thing by the law i'm doing a kind thing by mary and that's all very well and good so then when gabriel shows up and says um here's the deal joseph son of david don't be afraid to take mary home as your wife but gabriel uh, if i take her home and make her my wife and she's already pregnant people are going to know they could do the math that science is settled right But the angel says, no, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Okay, and immediately, just as we give Mary so much credit for not asking the question, how could this be because I'm a virgin? She's asking inquisitively, okay, Lord, I'm all in because the Holy Spirit has covered her, is overshadowing her. I'm all in, so how are you gonna make this work? Basically, Gabriel is saying, hey, you know what? What I told to Mary, I'm telling to you. The baby is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. She is going to give birth to a son. And you have one job. Well, you have two jobs. Job number one, don't divorce her and marry her. Job number two, give the child the name Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua. Joshua means the Lord saves. Even though it was a very common name in the culture because a lot of people wanted God to save them from all the mess they were going through with the Romans and with the Pharisees for that matter, this was the Jesus. This was the Joshua, this was the one who meant the Lord saved, and so basically, he's saying, "Remember what Isaiah quoted 700 years ago that you should have studied in your Old Testament study, the book of Isaiah." Well, guess what? It's happening. It's happening now, and you have a choice. You're either going to believe it or you're not. Now, Mary had an actual encounter with the angel. Joseph saw the angel in a dream. I love the fact that the way God revealed himself to his people is kind of a Western version with the angel appearing to Mary and an Eastern version with the angel appearing in a dream to Joseph. There are scores of Muslims who are coming to faith in Christ each and every day because God, uh, let's see, uh, what's Esau? Is that what they call him in Esau? Uh, in in Islamic tradition. is showing up, Jesus is delivering them in visions and dreams. So Joseph wakes up and he has a couple of jobs to do. The angel said, marry, Mary, and then make sure that the baby is named Jesus. Joseph takes it a step further. He does not consummate their marriage until she gives birth to the son. So basically he says, I'm not going to engage in Eros love with her until this all comes to be. Why did he not do that? Well, two reasons. And one of them, well, they both involved the last two versions of love as defined in the Greek. Let's take a look at those at the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. As we are gearing up for the end of the year, and of course the uh, New Year's Eve parties, also make sure you have your financial house in order with any charitable contributions you want to make. I recommend Preborn, the only place in America where a woman can go get a free ultrasound and then have all three explanations of what her options are, either birth of the child, release the child for adoption, or in states where it's legal, you can not get an abortion as well. Uh, but that 85% of the time, though, women who go to preborn clinics, even though they know that that's an option, they don't choose it. They choose life for their baby. I want to thank a couple of people who made donations to Preborn recently from outside of Southern California, but their bottom line show listeners, David, who lives in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and listens on KLTT. Gave a donation of $140 to Preborn. Thank you so much, uh, David, for that gift. Also, Royal, one of our listeners in Boulder, Colorado, looks like a KLTT listener as well, a $28 donation. Both of those gifts, plus any amount you donate right now, now through December 31st, will be doubled thanks to that special matching grant. And remember, if you give a $7,500 donation, which is completely tax-deductible, Preborn will double that. That provides $15,000 and a new ultrasound machine. Oh my goodness! Think of how many babies' lives you'll save. Go to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com. Click on the preborn banner right now. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Taking a look at the love candle, which is the fourth one lit in the Advent wreath uh, that will be lit this Sunday in your churches before you get into Easter, or excuse me, Christmas Eve services that evening. Um, the fourth candle, there's the hope candle, there's the peace candle, there's the joy candle, and then this week it's the love candle. And the love candle represents the love of God. God so loving the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The love of God is made manifest in the Holy Spirit overpowering Mary and conceiving the child Jesus within her womb and the Holy Spirit overpowering Joseph and, follow, and encouraging him to not do the legal thing, which is divorce her and then the nice thing, but not make a big deal out of it, but rather to marry Mary, go through with the wedding. Everyone's gonna know she's pregnant, trust that God has a plan in this. Joseph does not consummate the relationship until she gives birth to a son and he gives him the name of Jesus. The two other types of love, we talked about uh, agape, or excuse me, we talked about um, phileo love, uh, which is where we get the word Philadelphia, which is kind of a brotherly love. Eros or erotic love, which is the love between a husband and wife. There's sorge love, which is the I love you anyway love that a parent has for a child that gets on their last nerve. Or in this case, there's a little sorge going on here because Joseph's like, Wow, Mary, you're married or you're pregnant. We're gonna get married anyway, and I gotta figure out how to not be a laughing stock. But ultimately, the Mary and Joseph relationship demonstrates God's agape love. God so loving the world and sending his son to save us even while we were yet sinners Paul tells us in Romans and that's the good news of the gospel for the Christmas season for the Advent season that's the good news that we are celebrating this Sunday Sunday morning in our final Advent services Sunday evening in our Christmas Eve services and if you choose to worship on Christmas day uh, that's a great way to celebrate as well Uh, until we speak again God bless you and the merriest of Christmases from my family to yours, and from all of us here at The Bottom Line. Merry Christmas.